This is a recording from our 2021 Jhana Meditation Structured Study. Guided Jhana Meditations are available at becoming-buddha.com. If you find benefit here, please support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation. Thank you. Peace. That is the, the right attitude to have, Steve. I wish everybody did. Um, it sounds like you're just open to seeing what's out there and what, what works for you. And mm-hmm. that is something that Siddhartha Gautama would have said. Uh, he used the word, uh, he used it often in his teaching. Siddhartha Gautama became the Buddha. I'm sorry. But, yeah. um, I, maybe sometimes I assume too much. Uh, it was Ehepasika, which, which translates to come and see. And the, when the Buddha is using that word, he's saying, my Dhamma is something that you have to come and see for yourself. And once you do that, once you do it in the way that it's presented, then you can make a decision. And really what he's cautioning, cautioning everyone, even you know, from 2,600 years ago to today, is give it a fair share. Practice it in the way that it was intended, and then you can make a fair decision. And that's how I teach that Alex and, and Tom and, and Matteo uh, probably have talked about this. Um, it's, it's very focused on just what the Buddha taught as preserved in the second book of the Pali Canon, known as the Sutta Pitaka. And even that has been, um, I would say, restored and fine-tuned by me, in that I realized when I started actually studying that, that the Buddha did not teach anything magical or mystical or anything that could not be directly experienced by any human being. Mm-hmm. And so in my restoration, there's about 300 suttas, a few more, on the website that have been restored. And, me, and meaning that I have stripped out any anything that does not fit within the Buddhist teaching on dependent origination and four noble truths, which also means anything that is magical, mystical, or speculative. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything that is otherworldly or nextworldly is not something the Buddha taught, so I don't teach it. What he taught was something incredibly practical, and it's a way of developing this level of con- profound concentration and refined mindfulness that allows us to be mindfully present for each and every moment of our lives as it unfolds. Mm-hmm. And that is the secret to a stress-free life and it's really a secret to happiness, to simply be present for life as life unfolds without any interjection of me into it. In other words, not taking anything personal. And I think, Steve, many people wouldn't even understand that, but I think you do understand that, not taking things personal, because that's what you've been trying to develop an understanding of, I believe. Yeah. yeah. I'm not putting words in your mouth, I don't think. No, 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 absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think Buddhism really, like, set me on that path of, like, particularly the non-grasping, uh, non-attachment um, and, uh, you know, in, impermanence. And then, yeah, I've, I've brought in, you know, some other stuff and ventured on some other, you know, tangents just to, you know, kind of explore and... Yeah. You know, I think Einstein said that experiential knowledge is all there is. Everything else is just data. Um, and that's kind of the path I'm on at the moment. So I come from a very science and background. So before everything was like science and it was like all materialism and like, you know, kind of what can we measure? Um, and then it's been quite a big leap of faith, uh, I guess, to, you know, just recognize that there are other things out there that we, other intangibles that we can't really measure and, just because you can't measure them doesn't necessarily make them any less useful or valuable. Well, I, I've often felt that a, a scientist would, would probably do pretty well with the Dhamma because the Dhamma is about what is actually occurring and what works. And mm-hmm. it, is, it is through, you could say, scientific experiment, experimentation. Mm-hmm. Does this jhana meditation actually work? Mm-hmm. Does right speech actually develop and lead to a common, peaceful mind? You can listen to me tell you it does, and, and that's where we all start. You know, as a sign, we all know, we mm-hmm. first start with intellectual knowledge. But mm-hmm. Siddhartha understood we have to go way beyond that intellectual knowledge and have a direct experience of something. That's known as experiencing the truth, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And as a scientist, you know that. Mm-hmm. And you start out with a, with a hypothesis, and you move towards proving that theory. Mm-hmm. The, the Buddha says it is ignorance that is the root co- ignorance of four noble truths is the root cause of all stress and suffering in the world, mm-hmm. and so that's the theory we're going to prove through the Dhamma. And mm-hmm. you can, and it's that the proof.
proof is only useful to you and it's only useful to me but collectively this is why it's so important to be part of the sangha collectively we can inspire each other and i would say collectively we must inspire each other the buddha told his ananda who was his cousin uh, and also his second his attendant for most of his life uh, ananda asked his cousin the buddha one day he, he said cousin what is the most important aspect of your dhamma and he got into a couple of magical mystical things and the buddha the buddha could be very straightforward and almost in your face at times and this is one case and he said ananda don't say that don't say that he said the sangha is the most important aspect of the dhamma and what he was saying was that it wasn't getting together socially and engaging in idle chatter he was saying because there were rules for a sangha he was saying when we're gathered as a sangha you only speak of the dhamma and when you're only speaking of the dhamma that's the only way to develop the dhamma as a sangha it's also the only opportunity we have to share this in a in a collective but very well focused way and you know you're you're kind of fortunate you're at the ground floor of a of a burgeoning sangha that's focused on this too so um, that's yeah. my introduction i hope it I hope it helps uh, in the direction we're going yeah no great lovely thank you john and I, I see if you should notice that if you have any questions at all, just send me an email. I'm always available to you. So. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. All right. That being said, let me uh, get going with uh, today's class. Um, so we're starting, I think it's a 21 class uh, structured study. And the reason why I call these different studies structured uh, is I noticed in all my years of modern Buddhism, very little was actually structured. There was a little bit of this and a little bit of that and you know sometimes it wasn't even a buddhist teaching but it was kind of compassionate so we'll call it buddhism and whatever kind of made me feel good or my friends were doing or i just heard about or came up, all of this now becomes my buddhist practice and that's not very focused and it leads to constant distraction it leads to the the um it leads to the establishment of distraction doesn't it which is the opposite or the the uh, the absence of jhana or concentration. So the Buddha taught jhana meditation as the foundation of an eightfold path. That's the eight eight factor right meditation or jhana meditation, and it is that ever deepening concentration that supports the other seven factors of a complete eightfold path. Excuse me. And it is that level of refined mindfulness, meaning holding in mind. Let me go back a step. Mindfulness means to recollect or to hold in mind. So we can recollect or hold in mind anything. So mindfulness in a general way is not a helpful thing, even though that's kind of the new modern religion, to be mindful of this and mindful of that, mindful of washing dishes. The Buddha taught a very refined mindfulness that teaches us to be mindful of the Eightfold Path as our Dhamma practice. Meaning that as we deepen our practice, we deepen our integration of the, of the Eightfold Path as developing right view. Meaning in this moment, I'm incorporating the Eightfold Path as the framework and guidance for my experience of this moment. That seems very conceptual and very vague, especially at the beginning of practice, and even deeper into practice until you start having that experience. But it simply means that we start incorporating the Eightfold Path as it's appropriate. In other words, in a very practical way, in this moment, I find myself wanting to, to start telling a whopper about myself. Did you hear I just found out that I am the world's greatest meditation teacher as proven by such and such a poll? Well, for one thing, even if it's true, even if there was a poll like that, it, it's a complete fabrication as far as importance to the Dhamma, isn't it? The Dhamma doesn't care if I'm the greatest meditation teacher. The Dhamma only cares if I'm practicing jhana meditation. The Dhamma doesn't care if you are the greatest meditator of all time. It only cares if you're practicing jhana meditation. Because if you find in your meditation practice that you're striving to be the absolute best meditator of all time, you've lost your mind, haven't you? And you're practicing anything other than jhana meditation. You're practicing a fabrication <clears throat> that is compelling you to have to be the best meditator, which isn't allowing you to simply meditate and develop concentration. Is that making sense? Is that metaphor fitting? In other words, in this moment, instead of being the greatest meditator and trying to recognize it in my own mind, fit into that concept I've created about myself, 
I'm not actually doing the practice. And that's all that that means. But we can do that with anything. We can get caught up in our meditations about meditational, if I can, meditational concepts such as compassion or love or honesty or service and fall into the trap of considering all the times that we might be acting in a so-called Buddhist way as Buddhist practice. It's not. It's just a distraction into the conceptual application of modern Buddhism. It's something the Buddha taught to recognize immediately and abandon. That's what jhana meditation practice is all about. And I, we're going to understand that more as we go deeper into this practice. And that leads to one thing. I always encourage your questions, but also understand that this study is designed to give you the experiential answer to your questions. So please answer your questions as they arrive, especially if you feel yourself getting confused about something I'm saying or something you're reading. In other words, don't let your confusion go from week to week, but also understand that your insights and understanding to the Buddha's Dhamma will develop within Dhamma practice. It's kind of designed that way. So, um, any questions about what I just said? And I know that three of you have been using jhana meditation. Steve, have, have you actually used a jhana session yet? Yeah, um, I used. Pardon me? Uh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. It was a question for everybody. Sorry, shut yeah, up. Well, there, Steve, <laughs> Steve has, have you used a jhana meditation session like from the website or Alex guiding you? Yeah, do, do you know what? I, I think I might have done, but perhaps I don't understand it. You know, with the term jhana, um, I, I think of the pasna, and at the beginning of that, there was a, a anapana, an anapana where you just concentrate on the nose, and you know, just the the, the sensation yes. coming in and out of the nose, and then just allow the thoughts to come in and out. Yeah. Okay. That, well, I I've, I've done quite a few vipassana retreats um, and, and sessions. You, the what the Buddha taught is significantly different in in scope, but also in direct application. And that's not to say that vipassana is bad. It's just something quite different. Um, even though the method is similar, the, the focus is very specific, and then the approach is quite different than vipassana. And it's interesting that. Anapana, the, the Anapanasaki Sutra, the term Anapana came from that. And Anapana actually means, it means the exalted breath. And Sati, the last part of that, is mindfulness of the exalted breath. That's what Anapanasaki means. The reason why I'm saying that is we're just concluding a series of four talks on the Anapanasaki Sutta, which mm -hmm. was the Buddhist teachings on the example of, of jhana practice and refined mindfulness. And those talks are on the website, too, if you want to look at mm -hmm. that. Cool. Um, so that being said, Steve, you're going to learn uh, a technique that the Buddha taught and practiced throughout his meditation career, the teaching career. It's the only meditation method he ever taught. Uh, it's the one that he used himself to awaken. And again, it's the only one he ever taught. And he taught it for this specific reason. So, um, and uh, Steve, if you haven't already, you can sign up for my newsletter if you're going to continue to join us. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the newsletter, it describes the topic for the class and a link to uh, the, the sutta, or in this case, my just my article on this. Introduction. Yeah, yeah. No, Alex sent it over to me, so I've already uh, prepped. I've done my homework today. Oh, good, 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 good. Yeah, and if you, if, I always encourage people to read it. You don't have to. And you, you should also notice that while this is a series of classes, if you happen to miss one, two, three, or four, you're always welcome to come back and you won't be, I mean, you'll be missing something, but you won't be lost because mm -hmm. every sutta the Buddha ever taught relates to every other sutta. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, cool. All right, so... Maybe, uh, John, just something I wanted to share on please. something that helped me in terms of understanding jhana meditation. It was a bit of a simple realization, but it was really helpful was um, um, the fact that the, the purpose of jhana meditation is just concentration yep. um and you're not you're not trying to have an awakening or you're not trying to sort of figure stuff out in your mind or whatever it's it's just it's so simple the technique and it's so you just come back to the only thing i have to focus on here is purely the concentration like like and that helped me because i i did a lot of uh, meditation methods and when you do quite a lot of different methods, you get a bit confused on what you're what you're doing or what you need to prioritize or and um, and then when you've got a few different things that you're not quite sure what the objective is, then you end up just being a bit confused. Um, 
So yeah, that was the thing that helped me with this method. It's super, super simple, but it was just like, the only thing I need to try and do is concentrate. And then every time I lose concentration, I just come back to concentrating like every time. And um, yeah, it's, um, it's that, that's the thing that I found quite um, different. And then how it, how it integrates into the eightfold path, which is a bit, because I've done, deep, I did a 10-day Vipassana as well. And I think that was the thing. So I think there's some things in the, there are similarities sometimes that you might think, oh, it's quite similar. But then I think it's the integration in, like how it integrates into your life, which is a little bit different, which, anyway, just, just I just wanted to share that. Um, but uh, go ahead, John, I don't want to interrupt uh, anymore. Uh, wow. I, honestly, Tom, I couldn't have said it better myself. You, you gave it, you did, you gave a better introduction than I did in much fewer words. There's a reason why you're in teacher's training. You're doing a very good job as a teacher. So. Thank you. Um, so you've all read this. Uh, I'm not, I don't know if we're going to get through the whole introduction, but it doesn't really matter. Um, I'm going to read a paragraph or two and just, and just go a little bit deeper into, um, into what I've written. You can consider this an outline. So, I'm sorry, Doug, just to, just out of curiosity, are we going to meditate today or? Oh yeah. And, and we usually meditate. Most of my classes, we always start with a meditation and the idea is to just start to quiet our mind and, um, kind of, um, disentangle ourselves from the worldly distractions. But I thought at least today in my mind make this decision for every class to, to do the talk and, and suit future classes, the actual suit to Anjana, and then we can meditate. The reason why I don't like to do that is I don't want you to be thinking too much about the sutta, but if you can just to recognize, yeah, this is how it fits into my meditation, come back to the sensation of breathing. And we'll see. If you find that distracting, we'll just go back to meditating first. Um, all right. So, <clears throat> Buddhism has adapted to various cultures within a framework of each of that culture's beliefs and held views. I, I, and obviously, this is a, this is all my commentary. It's not a sutra. I'm very clear about that when I'm not yeah. teaching a sutra because I make a big point. Of, I almost always only teach the sutras, but this is my commentary on Jonathan. I believe the, the difficulty that many Westerners have had in integrating the Dhamma is in attempting to develop an understanding of the Dhamma from the perspective of an unfamiliar culture, but trying to fit that culture's beliefs into our Western beliefs. And I've seen that in almost every, um, in every student. And it, it, it can be very subtle, but it's also very obvious. So it even affected the initial um, adaptation and accommodations to the Buddha, to the Buddhist teachings, and it has continued to this day. In other words, and, and even without the modifications of cultures, every single um, recognized student from Dogen to this day that I've ever read, the Garjan is another good example, makes a point of their own particular insights into generic conceptions like no self and emptiness. When, and, and so they're taking something that the Buddha never even taught and conceptualizing it even further. And again, I'm not putting it down. And many people might find that beneficial and interesting. It's simply not something that the Buddha taught. And it points to why it's so important to understand why the Buddha taught jhana meditation for this specific reason. So we're not distracted initially and remember the buddhist teaching people that were seeking understanding during his lifetime he understands the nature of their distraction he understands that what they're what they've been listening to has been influenced by the culture that they're living in and he's saying you have to recognize that and abandon it he says because it's not jhana practice and you need a well-concentrated mind to do that so as Buddhism moved to the West with a much more pragmatic view of the world, many Westerners attempt, attempted to integrate the teachings and the cultural influences already present. We, we all know that. With no perspective in which to understand the cultural influences, great confusion has arisen. I remember that I was kind of coming of somewhat of self-referential age. Uh, human beings do that, um, at, at least boys do it, around seven or eight when they start really having self-reflective views that doesn't mean you can't learn about self you start learning how to read usually three or four or five 
Um, girls, usually a year or two earlier than that. The point I'm making is we don't start having self-reflective views until about seven, eight, or nine. So we're not... We're not so conditioned by what's occurring until that age. But it is at that point that the, the condition from society begins. And it is at that point... It is at that point that, the, that a well-concentrated mind will be able to recognize the influence of our entire life, or the, I should say the influences of our entire life, but not tied to the event. In other words, when I was five years old, I saw my neighbor kick my dog, and it, it had a terrible impact on me. And I'm, again, I'm, I'm not making light of that. But many people will think, well, they got to go all the way back to that incident, resolve the incident in that mind, write 15 letters to the friend that's been dead for 20 years, and burn it over the grave, and burn sage at, at high noon on the full moon, and all of it is... is affecting you in your mind right here and right now. There's no value in going back into the past. Simply recognizing this moment through jhana meditation, stress as stress arises. The initial cause doesn't matter. Everything that we've ever that has ever influenced us or conditioned our mind, we are experiencing right now. And so it's enough to just be mindful of what we're experiencing right now. Because in letting go of the stress that's, that's manifesting in this moment, we're letting go of all stress. And it's a series of, the Course in Miracles talks about the series of undoing. And of course in Miracles is a good thing to study, but it's not Buddhism. And so we're in the process of undoing our own conditioned thinking. But first we have to develop some concentration in order to recognize the manifestations of conditioned thinking but not necessarily each and every specific cause of our stress and suffering. Is that clear? That's kind of a key point, and it flies in the face of this modern culture that tells us we, we, we should that there's value in analyzing every feeling that we have. Certainly there's, there's value in analyzing where hurt feelings come from, uh, and there simply isn't, because that always falls into, and always falls into eye-making, meaning blaming others or blaming ourselves for how we feel. And as we learn in jhana meditation and the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, that is just a distraction and a true and ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Okay. Without perspective in which to understand the cultural influences, great confusion has arisen. This has led to the original teachings to be shrouded in mystery, hidden behind dogma and ritual, and lacking the context in which the original teachings were presented. You know, the reason why I wrote that, that's kind of a, uh, a paragraphical summation of everything I finally understood about what happened to the Buddhist teachings and how, it, how did it become corrupted. It's, it's really just because of these, mostly because of these cultural, and then you could say individual teachings that... Um, or uh, attached to the Buddhist teachings, or you could say that that um, applied instead of the Buddhist teachings. And again, it's not right or wrong. In fact, when you understand the Dhamma, you could say, and the Buddha hinted at this too, um, that it's to be expected that this level of corruption would happen to to an awakened human being's Dhamma. In fact, the Buddha said many times that if and when his Dhamma is lost to the world. It will not be from outside influences. It will be because it was corrupted from within. Sometimes you would say the Dhamma was lost from within the Dhamma practitioner's own mind. And that, that literally is what happened a few times. There was, a, there was um, a period of about 400 years, maybe even longer, when there wasn't even a mention of Buddhism in India, where Buddhism was born. And it's only really in the last 100 years, maybe 150 years, that Buddhism has been reintroduced to India. It's not the Buddhist Buddhism, but at least it's coming back there. Let me continue. The Buddha did not intend his teachings to be useful only for those with the right lineage, the right karma, the right teacher, the right um, uh, the right empowerment, the right social position, 
or the right culture. Every one of those that I mentioned was presented to me in one form or another as some type of qualification for developing the Dhamma, especially empowerments. I was a member, I won't say which modern Buddhist practice, but it's one of the biggest ones around today. And um, I, I, I really enjoyed the teacher. Uh, I thought she was brilliant. But even she was, it, it took me a while to understand what was bothering me about this, this teaching. I was committed to it. And it was in a very subtle way, but she, she would always mention about how important it was to attend the next empowerment. You must attend the next empowerment. And she would say, and I won't say the person's name because you would know who I'm talking about. She would say, so-and-so will probably be his last empowerment. And these empowerments back then were $3,000 plus cost. Uh, they're even more so now. And and it was always presented that it could be his last one. And I kept hearing about that year after year. It could be his last one. And, it, and there were, it was at least twice a year that in order to keep progressing, you had to be able to spend 3,000 bucks. And what really bothered me wasn't that I didn't have the 3,000 bucks. Was that how could anything that is based on the truth cost this much money in order to get, to get it? And that is one of the things that got me thinking, this probably isn't what the Buddha taught, and it got me thinking about what the Buddha taught. Um, so the Buddha taught a simple and direct path of developing lasting peace and happiness. Simple and direct, that's a qualification. If it's not simple and direct, it's probably not something in the wake of human being taught. This teaching is accessible and understandable for anyone who takes to the Dhamma Wholeheartedly. It just means you have to put in an effort. And uh, just for Steve's sake, I would say to the other three, that's a true statement, correct? You all basically understand what the Buddha is teaching now at this point. Do either of you not really understand? I don't think it is. And I, it, to me, I think that's a, that's a, a good representation of the Dhamma itself, that in a few short months with your own right effort, and the world's greatest Dhamma teacher, you've, you've really, you've, you have gained an understanding of the Dhamma so profound, Paul, and I, I'm not, you know, I'm not, it's a free, eh, I can't even think of it. I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not giving the hyperbole, I just don't do it. You presented a thorough Dhamma teaching. It, it, it's, um, it could be included in any Dhamma teaching, Dhamma class as a, as a skillful presentation of the Dhamma. And that's in just a few short months of actually practicing the Dharma. Would you, and again, I'm not using this to put anything down. Would you say you'd be able to describe as accurately as you just described the Buddha's Dharma, say what, say Vipassana, what that practice is all about? Um, I think, yeah, no, certainly not. Certainly not as 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 easily. I find that um, what what I get from these classes is, and by studying what the Buddha actually taught, is the consistency there. There's, I, I almost know now. I'm, I, it's a lot easier for me to sort of reflect on things and to correct, almost self-correct myself. Yeah. Because I've even got it up here, and uh, um, I've got the eightfold path on my wall, and I just look at it, and it's so obvious each time i'm like okay well that's what i'm doing or that's what i'm doing and and so a lot of the teachings that come back to um there's so much consistency there and the simplicity of it means that yeah i i, I it's 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 certainly a lot easier for me rather than i think when i was studying buddhism before i was just like you um steve i was totally seeking like i was always like looking for something and i was who's the new the new teacher who's gonna sort of tell me something mystical or wonderful and I was I was going through YouTube videos and I was going through podcasts and I was joining different kinds of retreat and 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 so there was always that sense of like I was looking for the next thing and I think what I what I like about um having uh, found the original teachings of the Buddha is that he really did teach the same thing over and over and over again and every time for me now the the learning is all about how does it, the teachings don't change each time, but each time I come to class, I reflect on that teaching, which I already kind of know, but how does that affect my life today, right? Like how have I strayed from the teachings today or even right now? Um, and so that for me is the value of coming to class rather than thinking, oh, 
I wonder what John's going to share today. Maybe it's going to be something completely new and I'm going to learn something completely new about Buddhism, right? Um, and I think that's the way it should be. Yeah, there's no grasping, in, even in your own practice. Yeah. That's, a, that's an ad, again, I get excited, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I get excited when you're talking about the results of Dharma practice. That's the result of concentration leading to a calm and peaceful mind. It's just that way. And that's what, that's what the Dharma brings us. Uh, and it, it brings us the ability to see it as it's occurring. Right? Again, that's what Tom is describing here. Developing the practical application of Dharma practice. And, uh, it, and it's such a perfect reflection of Jhana, too. Um, let, me, let me continue. Like I said, I'm not going to go through this, this, the whole article because we don't need to. Um, that last line, though, uh, take to the Dharma wholeheartedly. Uh, the sixth factor of the, eight, sixth factor of the Eightfold Path is right effort. And that's really what that means. Right effort, um, in a general way, simply means we're putting our focus on what the Buddha taught, and part of that effort is recognizing and abandoning what he did not teach. And that simply is developed in in class, in, in jhana practice, and learning what the Buddha taught. Very quickly, Steve, you'll you'll develop this framework that um, that Tom, Alex, and Mateo have developed, and you'll be able to. to differentiate between what the Buddha taught and what he didn't teach. And you'll also be able to differentiate differentiate it in a way that, and the word that I often use is characterized by gentleness, because you're being gentle with yourself, you're being gentle with the Dharma, you don't have to recognize another Dharma. I, I use the word Dharma to, to, to refer to the Buddhist teachings and Dharma to refer to everything else. So you, when, you're, when you're making the distinction, gentleness guides our minds too at all times and so we're not we're not diminishing other practices but we are making the distinction which is something the buddha did consistently and so when i'm saying something about um like that particular school that i just mentioned uh i'm not putting it down i am i'm obviously saying it's not for me but it obviously is for, for that that particular lineage probably has three million people following it it obviously is for three million human beings that are gaining some benefit from it that I have to acknowledge, just not for me. And it's different than what the Buddha taught. That's all that that means. As you, you have three teachers on with the two students, so I'm also teaching to them to understand the importance of that. Um, in this study, there will be no analysis of concepts nor an attempt to prove the validity of the Buddha's teachings within any tradition that developed after the Buddha's death. So I'm not tied to any tradition. Um, I did study um, most of the modern traditions and in some of the lineages that reflected uh, some of the, the more well-known teachers. Um, and I'm not saying this for any other reason, just to give you, that Tom and Alex and Mateo speak so eloquently about the differences because they have, they have experience of differences. And they know I, I can too, because I've experienced the differences um, and I was just as committed to that Buddhist practice as I was to what the Buddha actually taught. And it did give me a wonderful perspective. And some people will say, well, that's really valuable. And there was some value in all that time that you spent studying all those things. And I would argue that point. I don't think so. Um, I, I say it repeatedly when it comes up in the right context. I wish I had come across me 40 years ago meaning my presentation of the Buddhist Dhamma, I didn't, because it would have saved me an awful lot of time. Um, and I'm also speculating about that because I don't know. Mm. I, I first started chasing after Buddhism when I was 26 and I gave up drugs and alcohol um, because I had to. Um, and I say that, but it is pure speculation because I may have come across me and had the same reaction that many people have when they come across me saying that bald-headed guy is full of S. <laughs> uh, really, and, and when people say that, I said, you, you very well may be right, because I only teach what I know works for me. I think it works for you, meaning my students, because they tell me it does. And I'm always asking, is it working? Because I want to know that it's, that it's doing it. But it works for me, you know. And I want you, I want you to experience it working for you. That's why I teach this way, and that's why you will, too. Um, I'm just going to go a little bit further. Uh, I will explain terms as I understand them, 
as supported in the Pali Canon, meaning at times I'll use um, Pali or Sanskrit words, but very rarely. I, 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 a lot of modern teachers like to use language that people can't understand in a general way. Um, and I don't understand that. So if you hear me using a Pali word, it's just to present the context, but you won't hear a lot of it. I will, by necessity and intending right speech, show where adaptations and accommodations to the Buddha's original teachings have occurred and become uh, generally accepted as Buddha's teaching. That is just to point out where, um, where your confusion might arise, meaning not just the four of us, but other, other students who may join us, just so they get a clear distinction about what they might have learned, say, on a Vipassana retreat or uh, a Zen Sashin, and, okay, that is different than what the Buddha thought. Just to, just to know the difference. I intend no disrespect to any tradition, school, or Buddhist religion. I intend only a, clair, a clarity and a useful balance. I, that's a good enough introduction, I think, to what we're doing. Um, and you can, I think, well, you have read the, the entire article. Um, let's meditate first, and then hopefully we'll still have time to go around briefly. But um, you tell me it. If we meditate for 20 minutes, it's going to be almost quarter after three. Uh, is that okay? Yep. It's okay, okay. for me. Yep. Yep. Is, yep. There, is there time to talk a little bit afterwards? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So yep. we'll meditate for 20 minutes and have a brief discussion then. Yep. Yep. All right. Good. So and then also as teachers, you might notice that I've recited this probably 300 times, oh, no more than that, I recited this over a thousand times, and I, I can do it by heart, but I always read it, and I read it just for what Tom said, for the consistency, just so it, even the cadence is the same, and I'm not just, I'm not coming up with something else in my mind about it, so that's why you see me reading this every class. So, now is it, is, is Alex just went to sit? Yeah, okay. oh, I don't know, actually, is he there, Steve? Alex is ready, right? I think you're on mute, but... He's back in a sec. I think he just went to uh, empty the bladder for... Uh, empty the bladder, okay. Oh, is, is Alex, are we waiting for Alex or not? He just went to the toilet. Oh, He's yeah, back, yeah. he's back. What did you call it, Steve? Steve, you said he went where? Empty the bladder, that's what he said. Empty the what? <laughs> said you went to... <laughs> Empty the bladder, yeah. The bladder. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I love learning new words. That's a good yeah. one. I like that. There's worse ways of saying it in the UK, but that's quite a nice way of saying it. I like that. Because, I mean, I kind of knew where it went, but that that described it perfectly. I knew immediately. <laughs> it's just the bladder. So. Nothing else. Nothing to bother there. Uh, now is the time to meditate. With eyes closed and breathing through your nose, now is the time to set mindfulness on the breath in the body and do jhana. <laughs> Hold on one second, I'm sorry. Inhalation, 
and your exhalation, your in-breath and your out-breath. While remaining mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath, notice if feelings arise and thoughts are flowing. We are sensitive and conscious beings. Feelings arise and thoughts flow. The purpose of meditation is to increase concentration and not be distracted by the arising and passing away of feelings and thoughts. Notice the arising and the passing away of your breath in your body. When you find that you're caught up in your thinking, simply acknowledge the distraction and return mindfulness to your breathing. Relaxing your thoughts, remaining mindful of the arising and the passing away of your breath in your body. And we'll continue to meditate for 20 minutes with callbacks every five minutes. A 20 minute jhana meditation has been edited out. Guided jhana meditations are available at becoming-buddha.com. Take a moment to notice the quality of your mind. Be at peace with your mind. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. So, does everyone hear me okay with it? I have the air conditioner running in the background. Yep. Hear me okay? Yep. A little hot here today. Um, so, Steve, I'd like to start with you and um, ask you what you felt about today's class, what you learned. Uh, but I want to point out to you that on the website, uh, I think you've been there, uh, there's um, guided jhana meditation from 5 to 45 minutes so you can download and listen to. The guidance that you just heard and the guidance that's on those uh, recordings are the Buddhist teachings on how to meditate as found in the, in the Satipatthana Sutta, the primary sutta on the four foundations of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Just in case you're wondering why I'm saying what I'm saying. Um, <clears throat> from what you said, I would encourage you to start meditating uh, with short periods of meditation, but consistency, consistency is much more uh, important than length of time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you start with, say, five minutes of jhana meditation twice a day, very quickly you'll have established a jhana meditation practice. Mm -hmm. And then as you, and I hope you continue to join our classes, uh, and read and listen to what's on the website, you'll mm -hmm. start integrating the Eightfold Path as Tom has described uh, and as you'll hear uh, shortly. And, and again, I think very quickly you'll you'll have that Ehefasiko moment where you, you are seeing for yourself that this is a practical way of living in the world. I would say the most practical way of living in the world. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I look forward to it. What did you, you think about our class? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was, um, it was nice to get... I'm sorry, hold um, on. <laughs> I can't hear you with the air conditioner. Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, that's better. Mm. Sorry, Steve. Yeah, no, John, I was going to say, it's, uh, it's been really refreshing just to get a kind of a, a very clear um, understanding of, like, you know, the, the, the principles underpinning it. And I really enjoyed the meditation. I, I quite like just sitting in silence. <laughs> yeah. I don't get to do it very often, so uh, it was really nice. And I think with the, um, it's interesting, you know, what I picked up, uh, or something you said, and I think something Tom said earlier, relating to the Vipassana. When I went to Vipassana, I was uh, expecting some big, huge, awakening kind of uh, moment that was going to kind of like just propel me into this state of nirvana um, and peace and contentment. And um, and I put a lot of effort into it. And the... Um, as I said, it was it was a very good experiential teacher because in order to you know obviously get through ten days of it, the wisdom has to come from within. Um, but I, I I think I did find that it was quite um, I don't know. There was a lot of uh, there's a lot of ah, what's the word I'm looking for? Mm. Ah, 
there was a lot of faff around it, whereas I think I quite like the simplicity of, uh, of, of this. Steve, I've done um, four of the Pasana retreats. Um, I can't remember how many uh, Zen Sashins, uh, seven and ten day sits, three days. And I, 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 again, this is my experience. I'm not saying it, so I'm trying to coerce your experience. Hmm. Um, and honestly, at the end of each one of those retreats, the benefit I got was I was relieved that it was over. Honestly, I'm not putting it down. Mm-hmm. And I talked to quite a few other people, and they said basically the same thing, that they didn't, after all that effort, always expecting some great burst of insight, um, and it never occurred. Uh, and again, it's not, the Buddha never taught that. There's a modern saying the Buddha never taught, instantaneous awakening. The Buddha never taught anything like that. He said, but he did say, if you do this work, in this lifetime, you will awaken. There's a few suttas, in fact, the Anapanasati Sutta is one of them, the Satipatthana Sutta, where the Buddha says, if you do it the way I laid it out, if you present it in the sutta, in seven years you can expect, and then he says, well, maybe even in six years, in five years you can, and he takes us all the way down to a couple of days, if you just do it right, you have a right to expect awakening within as short as a couple of days, just sit down and do it. Mm -hmm. But you have to do it this way. That's what that's what you're describing, and that's what we're doing here. Yeah, no, I like it because uh, I think in the vipassana, I, I found it really, really difficult to get into my body, um, yeah. and I kind of found it was like a bit of a battle for me to, you know, to try and get into these subtle sensations or any sensations within my body. Yeah, again, th- those those things are just a distraction. As the Buddha teaches, um, any sensation that arises during meditation is to be acknowledged and simply come back to the sense of your breathing. Again, that's the instructions. As feelings arise and pass away, acknowledge this is a feeling. Take a breath. Unite your mind and your body. Mm-hmm. As a thought attached to that feeling, known as an emotion arises, recognize you're caught up in a moment. You're distracted by the thought attached to the feeling. Mm-hmm. The four foundations of mindfulness is take a breath. Go back to that first foundation of mindfulness, uniting the mind and your body. And I, I know you can see that's how we establish concentration, isn't it? By not letting myself be distracted by my own feelings and thoughts. Or I could say my own thoughts about my own feelings. That we're mm. distracted our whole lives by that, aren't we? Mm. The Buddha recognized that you don't have to do that. Do the simple method and you'll develop profound concentration that then supports the other seven factors of the eightfold path. So I think this is a pretty good introduction. So Yeah, cool. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Steve. Alex, what do you think? Hi John. Um yeah, so well, it's been nice to bring Steve along. <laughs> um, I've, been, I've been singing your praises to him for a while in the kitchen every time we're cooking dinner and stuff. So it's nice to have him here. Um, yeah, so for me, like I just echo what Tom said earlier, really, the, the simplicity of, you know, you teach, obviously you pass on what the, what the Buddha taught. And that in itself is simple. It makes me think, okay, this one man taught this one thing that worked. So why would I not want to follow that? And at the moment, um, I'm reading uh, Herman Hess, Siddhartha. And like I said to you last time, I'm really getting a sense for who this man was. And that's really helping me just think about a human being like me who um, developed this practice and wanted to teach it. And a good example of how, how it's working for me is in that meditation just now, you know, it was different for me because I've, I've got Steve next to me. <laughs> no offense. Um, there's noise in the garden. Uh, it's not my comfort zone, so it was difficult. I found it difficult to meditate, but but I didn't get frustrated. I just kept um, coming back to that was my experience at that time, and coming back to the breath and just accepting. Got to practice, Alex. Yeah, so it's, so not, just, that you were, it's it. not that you felt distracted by Steve being there, it's that you noticed the distraction and, and used the practice to come back to your... To your... Yeah, and, and I'm not clinging to, any, to a meditation I did yesterday or last year or a meditation I want to do tomorrow. I'm okay. just accepting it for what it is. And, and that's been... And like Tom said, the more I come here, the more... I know that, but the more I come, the more I remind myself of that the better my practice gets. And, and there's no doubt, I think I've been having classes with you for 
a year, probably about a year now, and I can see the, the difference and the clarity from the teaching. So, um, yeah, that was good for me. It was it was challenging, but but with the right practice, you know, there's no reason why we can't just just keep going. So it was great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Alice. The, the, um, when you come on our retreats, you'll notice that there's no difference in our retreats as our classes. And, and, we don't, and so we don't build in that expectation that you have to go on a retreat in order to awaken or there's something special that's going to happen. Although our retreats are very special, but they're, they're special in the sense that we have an opportunity to immerse ourselves in the Dhamma. But in the end, the Dhamma is the most ordinary thing in the world, isn't it? It's just teaching us what it means to be a human being. Mm. Nothing else. Yeah. Mateo, how are you today? Yeah, I'm fine. Hi, everybody. Um, not much to say. I mean, like, I, I can say I agree with all of you. You're better. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, like, what, what I got like a, is like a bit, a bit longer than one year that I, I, I attend your classes. Uh, what are, like, for me, like, the most important teachers, like, awareness? So, like, uh, to really be aware, even when they have, like, sometimes idle chatting moment, just able to recognize that. And then it became so naturally that I, I think uh, nowadays in my life, it's like less and less happened this. And I, I don't feel like, oh, I'm, I'm missing something. I think I, I something. It's like I don't waste any more time with something that is not this futile in this world yet. That's, a, that's such a good example of the, the cessation of continued eye-making, Mateo, because that's what you're noticing, that you're not doing it anymore. In the past, our minds become so clinging to our fabrications that you wouldn't even have noticed that you're always doing that. You're all, and we all do it. We're always establishing ourselves in these little ideas that have flowed in and out of our minds. But we don't realize how distracting those little ideas become because once I have the idea... I can't help but cling to the idea. So what's the ultimate resolution? A calm and well-concentrated mind that doesn't churn up the idea in the first place. That's Dhamma practice. That's what Mateo is describing there, the beginnings of that. You're, you're like, all of that, that junk that's in your mind that foments further junk. And that's just how Dhamma practice works. It's just that way. So thank you. I would say, like, I remember um, a funny things about Vipassana because everybody mentioned it. I did, like, two retreats with these 10 days. And I realized that this wasn't Buddhism even before Mitya because, like, it made me very angry when I was there. Yeah. Me too, And I always blame myself. Or I blame yes. myself that, that, that I must just be an inherently angry person because I didn't understand my anger was coming out of just the frustration of being presented something that I knew wasn't the truth. For me, that's all. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Mateo. Tom, how, are you? how about you? Yep, yep. Thanks, John. Um, yeah, um, a little bit like Alex, actually. I, my, my meditation was quite distracted, but that's okay. Um, yeah. I'm, at least I'm doing it. Um, I think um, the, the thing that I took from today uh, was the, the, this idea you shared at the beginning about no need to overanalyze. And I think we get so caught up in trying to understand why of like our emotions, why do I feel this way? Or what was it? What event was it that led to this? Or trying to sort of logically analyze things. And so, um, yeah, just, just that fact, you don't need to analyze why, you just need to let it go, right? And, and it's not as simple as that. And, um, you know, I, um, I guess the, the thing that's the fabrication I've had a lot in my life in the last few weeks, Alex will know about this, is um, it's my birthday coming up and I've been stressing about do I do something because it's, it's, a, it's a milestone birthday, it's the 40th, right? So, oh my goodness. Um, so I'm like, I'm like, I'm stressing about it, thinking, well, who do I, you know, who do I invite? And I've got all my friends in different countries around the world, and then I, I can't invite them. So is it worth doing something? And then if I do something, does it? There's so much like stress being caused by something which doesn't really warrant it. I mean, it's just it's just a fabrication, right? And it's it's junk in my mind that 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 is um, just a bit silly, really. But I couldn't help myself. Um, and so, yeah, just the practice has really helped me just to 
sort of just let go of it and just do what I want. And, but don't, don't, it's all, whatever I do, whether it's big or small or this or that is, it's all just, um, it's all just sort of mental clutter anyway. Right. Especially if I start judging one way or the other. So anyway, so that's how I guess I've been applying the practice a little bit last few days just to get some sort of be a bit more at peace with myself and stop over analyzing if I do this then that and if I do this then you know and then wondering you know that's pure Dharma practice Tom and we've all talked about that you're noticing when the distractions in your life are arising you're noticing the eye making in it and you're you're simply in that moment coming back to your breath and so it arises again Um, I would say you're you're engaging in and even this, uh, the birthday planning, in a very skillful way. You're, again, you're noticing the distraction, but you're going ahead, framed by the Dhamma as best as you can at this moment, and that will only develop deeper. So I say, have a great time, enjoy your, enjoy your birthday. Maybe you should have part of it virtually online because it sounds like you've got friends all over the world. And uh, if you do, let me know because I want to be there. <laughs> It is a big. Let me tell you, Tom. It's a big one. You never get it again. You know? There you go. There you go. There <laughs> Only sixty-five is headed your way, but you got a, you got a little ways to go. You got me thinking about something. I had a friend. A quick story. I'll let you go. Uh, a really good friend. He was a, a Jesuit monk. He really intense practice. These guys, uh, warriors in the Christian faith. If you, uh, and a really good guy. He uh, and this is going back. Wow, almost. 38 years ago, I was 27, 28, 29. Um, and he, went, he, he he stayed in a monastery about an hour and a half north of where I was living at the time. And most Fridays, I don't even remember how we met, probably at an AA meeting or something. But most Fridays, I drove up to the monastery we were staying at. And we'd have these incredible discussions about the meaning of life and God and heaven and all this stuff. And he, he was, he was just a brilliant man. And, and I also knew that he had, I, I don't know if they call it this today, I might be piece, politically incorrect, but he had nervous breakdowns. He had nine nervous breakdowns in his life. And he used to say, it's okay to lose your mind. You just get another one. And he was one of the most balanced people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> one important piece of, of advice he ever gave me, I didn't take it at the time, I do now. He said, John never asked why. He said, that's why I lost my mind. Is from asking why. He says, every time you ask why, you're saying, I don't want this to be the way it is. I mean, of course, he's not talking about scientific inquiry. He's talking about why this is happening to me. Why is the world this way? Why isn't God better than me? Why isn't Buddhism this way? Why, 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 why? He just lost your mind. And he was talking from experience, obviously, but he also observed it in other people. Never ask why. Yeah. It's just what's occurring. But we have to have a well-concentrated mind to not generate the question in the first place, don't we? Mm. To not have that level of eye-making. And that's where we're all moving to. You all, I'm sorry, Steve, you'll be able to to describe this in a week's time or so. The three of you are describing integrating Dhamma practice as it arises. And that's Dhamma practice. So well done. Um, So we'll continue with this uh, next Thursday. The, uh, the email newsletter timing is okay? So it, it will be weekly now? Yes. Oh, okay, cool. Good to know. Yep. Okay. Um, and send me your bios when you can, and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll get, uh, I'll get a, a spot on the teacher's page for you uh, and a picture. And something else? Oh, and if you could coordinate or we can coordinate your teacher's submissions, your writing submissions, then maybe we can, we can uh, go over them together. Yeah, I, I, I discussed with Matteo that we're going to um, maybe exchange exchange notes and stuff like that, right? Okay, yeah, I would say if I you want to do that, fine, but I would say, oh. you know, just to get them to me is more important. Yeah, and then yeah. the three the four of us will get together and have our meeting to review your notes. Ah, okay. But however, you know, however that, and if you want to share your notes, that's fine too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm just talking about it, the, the overall effort, if you don't have the time to do that. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right. Yeah, Perfect. I will have uh, a wonderful class. I'll see you all uh, next week. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Please, Thanks, please John. contact me anytime. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. All Thanks. right. See you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening.
I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.